We're there in Isaiah 31, and it's been a few weeks since we've been in the book of Isaiah. It's been a couple weeks since I've preached on a Sunday night, and we've had a lot of different uh, guest speakers just in general around here, and uh, we'll, we'll get back to normal uh, over the next few weeks. But in Isaiah 31, if you look at verse number 1, the Bible says this, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Remember, Isaiah is preaching to the southern kingdom of Israel, to the, the, the nation of Judah, and he is uh, giving them a warning. That word woe is a, a warning, kind of like, a, hey, this is, this is not good. You want to stop here, and you want to think about what you're doing. And he says, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Now, if you remember, Egypt in the Bible is always a picture of the world. You always go, notice if you look at verse 1, you always go down to Egypt. Uh, you're always, Egypt is a place of bondage. Egypt is a place of slavery. Egypt is a, is a bad place for God's people to go. Egypt represents the world. And here he says, woe to them that go down to Egypt. And notice where they're going to Egypt, for help, and stay on horses, and trust in chariots. Now, why are they going to Egypt for help? Why are they staying on or trusting on those horses and those chariots? Notice what he says in verse 1. Because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Now here, uh, the Assyrians were actually coming to destroy and, and to do battle against the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, and, and the southern kingdom of Judah specifically, is looking to Egypt for actual physical help with this war and this battle. And they're looking at Egypt and they're saying, well, they have horsemen that are many, and they have uh, chariots and ho- horsemen that are strong and chariots that are many, and they can be of a help to us. And Isaiah says, hey, listen, woe for a second and just stop for a second because when God's people begin to look at the world for help and begin to trust, notice the problem is that they looked, woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. They're going to the world for help. And you know, as I was thinking about this, uh, I was thinking about Isaiah dealing with God God's people, the nation of Israel at the time, going down to the world and going down to people that are not God's people, to people that worship other gods and other religions and have other beliefs and going to them for help as opposed to going to God for help is the exact same thing that you and I deal with today. Christians today, Bible-believing Christians, people that are actually saved, people that actually have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, so often today will, instead of seeking the Lord, and instead of seeking God's will, and instead of seeking what the Bible says, they will go down to Egypt for help. And they'll go down to Egypt, and they say, well, why would you go to Egypt? Because they have, they're very strong, because they have a lot of chariots, they have a lot of horses. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 31, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. And the, the sermon tonight is, is very basic and, and, and very easy to understand, uh, but I think it's every once in a while it's good for us to be reminded that we don't have to go out to the world to get our counsel and to trust in the world. Today, you have a lot of Christians that are listening to the world, and you have the world trying to influence God's people. You You have the world trying to tell God's people how they should live and what they should do and the things that they should do. But listen to me. It is a woeful thing. It is a dangerous thing when God's people go down to Egypt for help. 
when God's people want to get the advice and the help and the trust of the Egyptians. You say, what, what are you talking about? Well, let me give you one example. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 8. The Bible says this. It says, let, uh, it says neither let us commit Fornication. The word fornication is a is talking about a physical relationship between young people uh, or old people. Good night. Before marriage, it's talking about having a physical relationship before marriage. And here Paul says, "Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand." And I'm here to tell you that today there are people telling. Christian young people that they don't have to, you know, stay virgin and stay clean and stay pure before they get married. But let me tell you, hey, don't let the world tell you that you need to fornicate before marriage. I'm, I'm primarily talking to young people right now. Children in, that are listening to me right now. Teenagers that are people that have never been married, you're not married. Hey, let me tell you something. Don't let the world tell you that you need to fornicate because it is God's people going down to Egypt and trusting in Egypt and saying, well, they've got so many people in the world that are doing it. They've got so many people on chariots and on horses. They've got multitudes of young people that are fornicating and they seem to have fun. But listen to me. Woe unto you that go down to Egypt for help. And as, young, as, as Christians, we ought not go uh, and get our counsel and trust in what the world says. You young people, don't let the world tell you that you can fornicate or that it's okay to fornicate before marriage. My wife and I were talking this afternoon. I was going through, uh, just kind of talking to her about my sermon. And she told me a story that, that she'd never said before. We've been married for 10 years and she never told me the, the story. I, you know, it never came up in conversation, I guess. But she was saying, she was telling me how when we were engaged... She was speaking to an older uh, woman that she uh, knew very well, and she was explaining to uh, this person that we had decided to not be physically together until we were married. And this individual, older woman in her life, you think she would have said, man, that's great. You think she would have said, that I commend you for that. You know, I didn't do that, but man, that is good. That is great. That is a good. But this lady proceeded to actually mock her. I mean, can you imagine this? You got some older woman making, you know, we're, I mean, we, we got married when we were 18 years old. We were, we were young, you know, mocking this 18 year old girl because she says, I'm not going to go to bed before marriage. I mean, and I'm here to tell you, that's the world today. But it's not just, you know, their high, the high school buddies making fun of the kids, you know, saying, oh, you're still a virgin. You've got grown men that are, you know, telling young people, oh, it's okay, go ahead. You've got adults that are going out and buying, you know, uh, protection for their young people so they can go out and fornicate. But let me tell you something. The world does that. The world thinks that's normal. The world thinks that's okay. Hey, let the world have children out of wedlock. Let, let the world get all the diseases and the STDs that they want. To, but you young people decide right now and do not allow the world to tell you that it is okay to go to bed before marriage. Do you understand that God hates fornication? Amen. I mean, look at the passage that we're looking at right there. 1 Corinthians 10, 8. Neither let us commit fornication. Don't miss this. As some of them committed, this is referring back to a story in the Old Testament, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Do you understand that God in one day killed twenty-three thousand people for the sin of fornication i mean this is not something god takes lightly god does not think it's a small thing for a a a young girl or a young man to defile themselves physically before marriage 
And I'm just here to tell you, and I'd like to remind you, and I think it's good every once in a while to just be reminded to not let the world tell you that you need to fornicate before marriage. Go to Genesis. Uh, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians, because uh, we're going to come back to it, but go to Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. Say, Pastor, why, why are you preaching you know, about fornication? Look, it's something we got to talk about on a regular basis. Our young people are being just uh, attacked with this idea of, of fornicating and of being together. And by the way, you know, the Bible says it's not good for a man to touch a woman. It's better for you young people to, you know, you don't need to be holding hands with a lady you're not married to, the young lady. You don't need to be hugging. You don't need to, you know, you get married and then you can enjoy those things. It's good to spend time with the opposite sex, but you better be, uh, you know, steering clear from temptation. Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 24. Not only don't let the world tell you that you need to fornicate before marriage, have a physical relationship before marriage, but let me tell you, young people, don't let the world tell you that you need to live together before marriage. Today, people want to advise young people, oh, you got to live together before marriage. You know that it is statistically proven that people who live together are more likely to get a divorce than those who don't before marriage? I mean, that's a fact. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible says this. Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. The, the Bible teaches that the way it should work. And let me talk to you parents, you mom and dad that have young people. Don't get this idea that my kids are going to turn 18 years old and I'm going to send them off to some Bible college or some secular college or the military or whatever it is and they're going to go get in a dormitory or they're going to go live with their friends. The Bible never speaks of that. The Bible teaches that a young man and a young woman should leave father and they should leave mother. They should leave their parents' home and directly from there, cleave unto their wife or cleave unto their husband. The Bible doesn't mention dormitories. The Bible doesn't mention, you know, I'm going to go get, you know, with four of my buddies and we're going to be roommates. The safest thing for a child, and you say, well, they're 23 years old, they're 25 years old, they're 18 years old. The safest thing for anyone who's not married is to live with mom and dad until they get married. That's what the Bible says. Now, you, you say, well, nobody says that. I know Egypt doesn't say that, but God's people should not get their counsel and their trust and their, and their uh, help from Egypt. Don't let the world tell you that you should fornicate before marriage, young people. Don't let the world tell you that you uh, need to live together before uh, marriage. You're there in Genesis chapter 2. Look at Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 16. Let me give you another advice that the world wants to give Christians. The world constantly wants to tell Christians to, that when you, get, when you do get married, your marriage should be 50-50. Meaning that no one should lead and, you know, the husband makes 50% of the decisions and the wife makes 50% of the decisions. That concept is not found in the Bible. Are you there in Genesis chapter 3? Look at verse 16. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says this, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Remember Eve, uh, Adam and Eve had sinned here, and God is giving them their punishment. Notice what God says to Eve. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. The Bible teaches that the husband should rule 
over his wife. The, the word rule is comes from the same word as a ruler, talking about being a leader over her, that he should be, she should submit herself, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Verse 17. And unto Adam he said, now here's what you got to understand, okay? And I know today, you know, you say that and people say, well, the world, t-, you know, the Bible says that you're a male, sh- uh, the world says that you're a male chauvinist, and I can't believe that you'd say that, and I was taught, and I was told, and Oprah said, and Dr. Phil said that you got to just partner up together, make decisions together. But listen to me, the Bible says that thy, thy desire, ladies, shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now listen, it's not because the man is smarter than the woman. It's not because God loves men more than women. It's not because a woman's inferior to men. It's just the way God made it. God decided that men should lead. And when you mess with God's plan, you'll mess things up. In fact, the whole world got messed up because Adam and Eve decided to mess with God's plan. Look at verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Don't miss that. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it, and, it sh- uh, and, and all of... Uh, good night. Eat of it all the days of thy life. Just stop and think of this for a moment. Every bad thing in this world, Every, every murder, every robbery, every person that gets taken advantage, the poor, the needy, the starving, the thorns, the animals just killing each other and eating each other and humans killing each other and humans hurting each other, right? Can you th- think about this? Every bad thing that ever has happened in the history of the world all goes back to one man not standing up to his wife. I mean, think about that. God said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Because we had some bossy woman trying to boss her husband around Adam. And he didn't have the guts and he didn't have the backbone to stand up and say, hey, listen, no, we're not going to go down that road. God said that we are, because he submitted to his wife as opposed to his wife submitting to her husband. We got the big mess we're in right now. And you think you're going to be able to fit, you know, I know the Bible says, but in my marriage it can work if we're fit. Look, it's, it's not going to work in your marriage. The only thing that will work in your marriage is if you stop trusting in the world, stop trusting in the world's philosophy, and do what God said. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and so shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament. uh, Ephesians chapter number 5. And look at verse number 23. I know you've seen these verses before, but it's just good every once in a while. Because look, all day long, all week long, we are in the world. In the world, people are talking to you and people are telling you. And they're putting ideas into your head. And they're saying, you should do this with your marriage. And you should do this with your children. And you should do this with your finances. And I'm here to tell you, the world's way of doing things is wrong. And as Christians, every once in a while, like Isaiah, we should just stand up and say, hey, woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Woe to them that want to go to Egypt and go to the world and don't want to look unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Ephesians 5.23, the Bible says this. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The Bible teaches that in marriage there is a leader and it is the man. And men, you need to step up and lead. And women, you ought to submit. And don't fall for the world's philosophy and the world's way of thinking. And you say, well, the world seems to... Look, the world is messed up. Just follow what God says. You're there in Ephesians. uh, Go to chapter 5. Look at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Don't let the world... 
the, the world is constantly trying to influence us. The world is trying, Egypt is constantly trying to get their foot in our door and try to get us to think like them and live like them and do the things. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, the Bible says this, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Let me tell you something. Don't let the world get you excited about entertainment. Don't let the world get you excited about entertainment. We live in a society today where people are so hyped up on sports and television and celebrities and Facebook. And I'm here to tell you, the biggest thing that could ruin your life that you can allow the world and Satan to do is not to necessarily lead you down the path of sin, but it's just to cause you to waste your life. I mean, so many people, you can do, you can do research and, and, and look stuff up, and I could have, but I just I didn't, didn't want to. But, you know, we're, we're told that the average American spends two hours a day watching television. Think about that. Two hours a day watching television. Could you imagine what you could accomplish two hours in your day if you had an extra two hours? The average American. Now, think about what is accomplished when you watch television. You're sitting on a couch, the TV's on, and from... Nothing changes from the moment you start it to the moment it's done. And look, there's all sorts of wickedness and things that we could talk about the television, but I don't even want to preach that. I just want to explain to you, you are wasting your time if you are just sitting there and watching TV and following sports. Sports, I'm just here to tell I'm trying to help some of you out. It's a waste of time. It doesn't matter. Nothing that is done through sports means anything. Who wins the World Cup? Who wins the World Series? Who wins the Super Bowl? Who wins whatever the NBA does? I don't even know what they do. You know, whoever wins these things, it doesn't matter. It changes nothing. It accomplishes nothing. You're wasting your time. The Bible says we ought to redeem our time because the days are evil. Don't get so excited about celebrities and get so excited about this person and that person. Look, it's a waste of time. It's a distraction. Don't let the world get you excited about entertainment. Don't let the world get you excited about, you know, politics. Another big waste of time. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Let me show you something else. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse number 18. We'll talk about politics here in a second. Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse number 18. We are constantly being attacked by the world trying to get us to think a certain way. And every once in a while, we just have to be reminded, the world's ways are not God's ways. And the way the world does things is not the way that God does things. And if you're getting wrapped up in how the world does things and wrapped up in how the world functions and wrapped up in, in how the world uh, you know, teaches us to do something, you're going to go down the wrong road. Don't let the world, here's a good one, don't let the world tell you that you need two incomes to survive, men. The world wants to lie to men today and tell them the only way you can survive in our society is with two incomes. Now look, yeah, I'm sure you could probably live a lot better off of two incomes, but you don't need two incomes. I'd write, you say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about sending your wife off to work. Are you there in Genesis chapter 3? Look at verse number 18. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 18. Genesis 3.18 says this, Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground out of it, uh, for out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. Do you understand that when Adam and Eve sinned, God gave punishments to the woman, and God gave punishments to the man, and the punishment for the woman, or the recompense for the woman, was that she was going to give birth, and it was going to be uncomfortable, and it was going to hurt and the punishment for the man that was he was supposed to go out and sweat 
and work and provide for his family. And today you got guys trying to put their punishment on their wife. And the funny thing is you've got these crazy women who, you know, they're like, I want to go work. You're wanting to take on the man's punishment? You know, you want to take on... The Bible's ordained for him to take care of you. The Bible ordained for him to go out and work hard. And you got these women. And the funny thing is, they're still in pain while they're in labor, and plus they want to go work 40 hours a week. And you say, well, that's the, world, that's the way the world tells us. Don't fall for this idea that you need to incomes. Uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 5. I'm just trying to give you ideas and give you concepts because the world is so messed up. The world wants to tell you, send your wife off to work. God says, you work, men. Let me tell you something. It'll be a cold day in hell before I send my wife off to work. I'll work two jobs before I send my wife off to work. I'll work three jobs. I'll get rid of cars. We'll eat beans and rice every day before I force my wife to go and earn money so she can take care of me. Are you serious? First Timothy chapter 5, look at verse 8. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. The Bible says this, But if any provide not for his own men... And especially for those of his own house, he had denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 14 says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now look, I understand. You go, you live in our society, you go to the public school system, you go to the college system, and ladies and young women are being brainwashed that the only value you have is to go out into the workforce and act like a man and put pants on like a man and go work like a man, and that's the only value you have. But let me tell you something. You are trusting in Egypt. You are going down to the world for counsel. The Bible teaches that the women ought to be home with their children, keepers at home, while men go off to work and provide for their families. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible says. And today, we have Christians who say, I'm just going to do it the way the world says. I'm here to tell you, it's not going to work out for you. Don't let the world tell you that you need two incomes uh, to survive. You're there in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Hey, ladies, once we're speaking to the ladies, don't let the world tell you how to dress. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 9. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says this, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Do you know what the word modest means? It means not flashy. It means not bringing attention to yourself. The Bible says that women ought to adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now listen to me. The Bible's not teaching that you need to become this bag woman, okay, and look like you're homeless as you walk down the street, okay? That's not what the Bible is teaching. You ought to, you know, take pride in yourself, take a shower and put them to nice clothes, you know, and all that stuff. But listen to me, ladies. You ought not dress in a way to try to attract attention. So if it's a little too tight, if it's a little too low, if it's a little too high, if it's a little too revealing, it's not modest and it's not right. We're getting ready to come out of uh, uh, winter here and we're going into spring and summer. And when the sun comes out, everyone wants to start taking their clothes off. But let me tell you something. The Bible says that you ought to dress modestly and you ought to dress with shamefacedness and sobriety. Hey, do not dress in a way to try to bring attention to yourself. And men, you ought not look at women that are dressed modestly. Jesus said, you know, uh, that, that if you look on a woman to lust after, you've committed adultery in your heart. So don't let the world... You say, well, the world says that I ought to dress this way. And the world says that the only way I'm going to get promotion is if I put a tight little skirt on and, a, and hike it all the way up. Well, number one, ladies, you ought not be trying to get a promotion. You don't get a promotion when you're home raising your children, all right? That is a promotion. And number two, that already tells you that the world is messed up. Well, I got to go to work. I got to put this tight blouse on. That's wicked. I just want to dress in a way where guys look at me. You need to get right with God. Don't let the world tell you 
how you should dress. Go to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Look at verse number 13. Proverbs 23. If you open up your Bible right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. And uh, right next to Psalms, you got Proverbs. Proverbs 23. Don't let the world tell you to not spank your children. Don't let the world tell you not to spank your children. Today, Dr. Phil wants to tell you that you need to give him a time out. Oprah Winfrey wants to tell you that you need to speak to the child and reason with the child. Listen to me. You don't reason with a two-year-old. You don't reason with a one-year-old. You, 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 the Bible says that you gave them the discipline that they need. Proverbs 23 and verse 13 says, withhold not correction from the child. Now listen to me. Some of you parents need to underline this phrase in your, in your, in your Bible. Withhold not correction from the child. Because here's what you got to understand. Spanking your children is not like salvation. Here's what I've noticed with most independent fundamental Baptists. They believe in spanking. But do you know that believing in spanking is not going to raise good children? It doesn't work unless you actually do it. Do you know that? I believe in our home we believe in spanking. In our home we believe that the Bible. And it's like, when's the last time you spanked them? See, it doesn't work unless you actually... You, you, salvation, you just believe, and you don't have to do anything. But spanking, you actually have to practice it. You actually have to do it. And we've got all these parents who they want to tell you, I'm going to tell you one more time. And, and one, one more time after that, too. Well, I just forget. You know, hey, look, spank your children. It only works if you actually do it. And, and we, get mad at, we get mad at these people that say, well, yeah, I'm not spanking. You're withholding correction from a child. But saying you believe in spanking, mom... Saying you believe in spanking dad and you never actually do it will produce nothing. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and thou shalt deliver his soul from hell. Obviously, this should go without saying, we're not talking about abusing your children. Sometimes you preach these things and people come up to you and say, you're advocating uh, abusing your children. You're ridiculous. You You need to just go somewhere else if you think that's what we're talking about. Good night. We're not talking about abusing your children. But God created a padded area on the bottom side of a child with a lot of nerve endings that you ought to lovingly take and spank and make it hurt. So that they, I didn't say injure, but you need to make sure it hurts. Spank, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spank you through your, your jeans and a diaper. <laughs> it's like, it's padded. Hello. Okay, withhold not correction from a child. Go to Proverbs 22, look at verse 6. Don't let the world tell you to put your kids in daycare. Don't let the world tell you to put your kids in daycare. We have, I don't know how many ladies we have uh, pregnant in our church right now. And, you know, it just every, every once in a while you say, well, we'd never put our kids in daycare. I, I sure hope so. But every once in a while it's good to just go ahead and say that out loud. The world today wants to tell you to put your kids in daycare. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know that does a commandment to you, mom and dad, to train your child. You are to train your child. You're not to drop them off for six hours, and let someone else influence them, and let someone else train them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. Don't let the world tell you uh, that you can't raise respectful and responsible teenagers. Go Look at Psalm 45 in verse number 16. Parents, do you know Psalm 45 in verse 16 that you have the opportunity to mold your children? Psalm 45 and verse 16 says this, Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make 
princes in all the earth. You have the ability to train your children to act and to respond and to be a certain way. And today, listen to me, today the world wants to just tell us and they want to tell me and they want to tell you parents. They want to say, well, listen, it's just a, you're just a losing battle. As soon as they're 13 years old, they're going to be rebellious and they're going to be mean and they're going to be, you know, and there's nothing you can do about it. Look, I don't believe that. I believe that you can train a child that you have the power to make them princes in all the earth. Notice what Psalm 45, 16 is saying. Instead of thy fathers shall be thy children, whom thou mayest make princes in all the earth. They weren't born princes, but you can make them a prince. And listen to me, if you want your child to respond a certain way, you want them to act a certain way, you want them to do certain things and not do certain things, you ought to praise them when they do right, and you ought to spank them when they do wrong. You ought to train up your child. Don't let some daycare do it. You ought to train up your child. Don't let some public school do it. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Today, the world wants to tell you that you cannot properly educate your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm just, I'm just trying to explain to you. The world is trying to get you to believe certain things that are not true. I don't know how many people have told my wife and I, we, my, my wife and I homeschool, and what that means is she homeschools and I'm just I. You know? I mean, she does most of the work there. And uh, when it comes to homeschooling, obviously I'm, I'm working. But, uh, you know, we've had so many people say to us, well, you can't properly educate a child in your home. And the public school system can. Have you been to the public school system? I mean, you can't do what, good night, really? Like, you don't think what I can do? Because if you ever go there, I mean, it's not that impressive what they're producing down at the public school. Deuteronomy chapter 4, look at verse number 25. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 25, the Bible says this, that they shall drive, uh, Deuteronomy uh, 4.25, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 6.7, that's what I want. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 7. Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse number 7. The Bible says, and thou shalt teach. This is talking, this is God talking to parents. He says, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. So notice, God wants you, mom, and you, dad, to teach diligently unto not other people's children, your children. Notice, Notice how much time God wants his, his parent, the parents to spend with their child. Notice, he says, and, sh- and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. That means when you're sitting down, turn off the television and actually talk to your children. When thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You know what he's trying to tell you? He wants children to be with mom or dad or both all day long. He says, when you get up, when you go to bed, when you sit down, when you're walking on the way, you got to have mom with you, you got to have dad with you, you got to be trained. Listen to me. God gave you those children. He did not give them to the public school teacher. He did not give them to the government to educate. No one can do a better job educating your children than you can, mom. Amen. No one can do a better job than educating your children than you can, dad, because God gave them to you. So don't buy into this lie from Egypt that says, you can't educate your children. Let the public school educate them so they can graduate and not, you, not be able to read their own diploma. So they can graduate and not know basic math. That's what the public school system is producing. Go to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Look at verse number 25. Don't let the world get you excited about politics. I don't know how many Christians, I think we have an election coming up sometime this year or something. I don't know how many Christians want to get wrapped up in this idea of politics, politics, politics. Jeb Bush is running. Like, yeah, that's what we need. <laughs> you know, and all these, you know, Jeb Bush and Scott Walker, and I don't even know who these people are. And, and Christians want to get so excited, wrapped up in these things. Look, why don't you get wrapped up in things that matter, like the eternal soul of an individual that will spend eternity in heaven or hell? 
Daniel chapter number 4 and verse 25, you have a very interesting verse. In regards to Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4 and verse 25, the Bible says that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. This is what Nebuchadnezzar was going to be driven out from society. He was going to have to act and be treated like an animal. And notice what the Bible says. Till thou know that God was going to punish Nebuchadnezzar, who was the leader of the of the world at the time. And God says to him, Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. You know that God is the one who controls the politicians and who the kings are. And let me tell you something. God doesn't really care. God, God, God has the power to remove wicked men from office like Barack Obama. But you know what? I don't think that God's that interested in it. And as politicians and as Christians, we ought not be that interested in politics. Well, I just realized it's a game. It, it means as much as the World Cup. It, 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 you know, this year it's Bush, next year it's Clinton, the next year it's Bush, the next year it's Clinton. It's like the same thing every time. It doesn't matter. And here's what the world wants to do. Distract you and distract me and get us to the place where we just waste our lives away. And we accomplish nothing for God because we're listening to and buying into a society that is wicked and that is wrong. And I'm here to tell you, woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help. Don't go to Egypt and get your help from them. Don't go to Egypt and get your counsel from them. Go back to Isaiah 31. Look at verse number, well, look at verse number one again. Isaiah 31 and verse one. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. And stay on horses and trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. And by the way, you ought not look at what people have materially and decide that that's why you're going to listen to them. I don't know how many people, you know, say, well, I'm going to go to that church because they got a bigger building. And, you know, you're going to follow them because they have a lot of chariots, because they have a lot of horsemen. See, God says, look, I'm not impressed with that. God says, I don't need, you say, well, I just think, you know, when you homeschool, I mean, you're just in your house and you've got, you know, your little board there for your kids. But when you go down to the public school, I mean, they've got this big old building and they've got a computer lab. It's like, do you know what a computer lab is? A com- it's, it's computers for the kids. You know, you can buy a computer for your kids. I mean, it's a, a computer lab, you know, and they, and they play basketball. Look, you can go play basketball with your kids. You know, but today we have this idea that, like, they've got a multitude of chariots and they've got all these horses, so they must be better and they must be stronger. Look, don't be impressed with what the world has. They're going to die and go to hell. Like we talked about this morning, no one abides. It's all going to be destroyed anyway. It's just temporary. God is not impressed with the things that this world has. But look at verse 3. Say, well, okay, we should not trust in Egypt. But look at verse 3. Now the Egyptians are men. Here's why you should not trust in Egypt. Here's why you should not listen to politics. Here's why you should not get excited about whoever is running for president. Here's why you should not listen to, to uh, Dr. Phil and Oprah Winfrey. I don't even know who else is out there that's like them. Dr. Laura, she's still alive. I don't know. You know, this is why you should not get excited about these individuals. This is why you should not get excited. You know, well, the, the, the world, they gave me this education and they gave me this degree. Yeah, but they also brainwashed you into thinking and acting like the world. See, why, why should you not get excited about it? Look at verse 3. Now, the Egyptians are men and not God. 
You know you should never get excited about men and you should only get excited about God? Well, you understand this football player, he ran all these yards. I don't really care. You know why? Because he's a man and not God. Well, this celebrity, he just sings this song and, and he rapped this song and he was in this movie. You know why I don't care? Because he's a man and not God. The Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. Do you understand that? That, well, you understand, if I send my child to this college and this university, they, they've got dormitories and they've got campuses and they've got all these things. Look, it is flesh. It is worldly. It's not spirit. I'd rather have God on my side and be in a house with nothing but have God. It's, it, they're men. Why are you so excited about them? I mean, you get so excited. Well, this preacher, this guy on TV, and this person and that person. Look, they put on... They're clothes just like you do. Now the Egyptians are men and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, and here's what I want you to see. Both he that helpeth. Now who's helping? The Egyptians. When the Lord stretches out, when the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth, the Egyptian, shall fall. And he that is hoping. That word hoping mean the one who's being helped shall fall down. Do you understand that? See, here's what, here's what you need to understand. When you follow the world's advice and how to have a proper marriage or how to raise your children or how to deal with your finances or how to do whatever it is, when you do it the way the world says, here's what you got to understand. When God finally comes down with a mighty hand and brings down Egypt, you're going to fall down with it. When you, find, you see, it's not like God's going to say, oh, well, you did everything the world told you to do, but, you know, I'm just going to make it work out for you at the end. No, he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is hoping shall fall down. And they shall all, notice the last part of verse 3, and they shall all fail together. You say, well, the world tells me that I should do this or I should do that. Here's what you need to understand as a Christian. It is better to seek the Lord than to seek the world. It is better to seek the things of God than to seek the world. Look at Isaiah 31. Look at, look at the last part of verse 1. But they look not. Here's the problem. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. The problem with most Christians today is that they're looking not to the Holy One of Israel. They're not seeking the Lord. They don't really care what the Bible says. They're just, well, I, just, I was told this, and I was told that, and I was raised this way, and I was raised that way. Let me tell you something. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. You ought to seek the Lord. You ought to see what the Bible says. Go to Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8. We'll finish right here. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8. Here's what you've got to understand as a Christian. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 8. This world is temporary. It's not going to work out for the world. They're going to fall down. Their day is coming. Judgment day is coming. But here's what will never fail you. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. I love this verse. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. See, our hope and our trust and our help ought to be in God. Now, I know it's easy to say that, but here's what that means. When you've got a decision to make, how am I going to raise my children? How am I going to have my marriage? How am I going to do whatever it is that you're doing? You know, what am I going to do in this area? What am I going to do in that, in that area? The grass withers. You say, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to the world. But here's the thing. It will wither. The flower fadeth. But the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. So we ought to seek the Lord and not man. And here's the thing you've got to understand. Most of the time, when you seek what the Bible says, it's going to be different than what 
the world says. It's going to be different than what Egypt tells you to do. But just remember, woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help. Because when God judges Egypt, when God judges the worldly, when God judges the world, if they're the ones helping you, then the one that's being helped will get judged also. So seek the Lord. Seek God's word. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Find out what God thinks about things. And then do those things. Because as Christians, it's the only thing we can do. We can't go down to the world for help. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord.